good. Very good. It was fun, uh, it was fun towing people around yesterday. Uh, they really weren't selling it though. They kept saying, oh, it's your turn now, but, but every, they were, well, what would happen is they would say, oh man, that hurt, I'm going to be hurting tomorrow, your turn. So I was like, no, I just don't, I just don't feel the urge. Oh yes, well, that's right. Actually, um, went, uh, went fishing on, so yesterday was Saturday, went fishing on Friday, and boy, there were some sharks around. Uh, Ian, um, Ian's actually got a picture. Like, so when a shark takes my line, I'm like, I just try and break it off. But Ian wasn't giving in, so he actually bought the shark. So the, the fish was in the shark's mouth, and he bought it right up and basically wrestled it out, or half of it out of the shark's mouth. And I'm like, you're nuts. You're absolutely nuts. So you're looking and you're going, what, you again? Uh, three in a row, so it doesn't happen often, and um, uh, next little while it, it, things start to get a little bit, uh, little bit different. I'm off to Christchurch next week, um, and then Nelson the week after, and then Hawke's Bay the week after, so I'll be um, doing a little bit of charging around. And uh, the India missions off part of the missions offering has taken on a, uh, a slightly um, uh, concerning... Uh, possibility where Samuel, who we send the money to, he said, stop sending the money, you come. So I'm just trying to work out how to escape, escape that. Um, love, I been to India and loved being there, uh, apart from the food and just being horribly sick the whole time. To be fair, I'd been, uh, over a period of nine days, I'd been in Cambodia, Singapore, Malaysia, uh, India and somewhere else. I can't remember where the other place was. So by the time I got to India, I was just not a happy camper. So like last time, we need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to put fire, fire on His Word. We need the Holy Spirit to come and breathe on us. And we also need to realize today that the Holy Spirit wants to do that because there are things that, that He is doing in this small gathering that are not about the small gathering. There are things that, that need to be said and embraced here that are for far beyond here. And we also need to realize um, that by the end of this year, things are not going to look like they do right now. So we need to be, Peter Robertson always used to say to us, we need to be white hot and flexible uh, because things, things are changing. So Holy Spirit is here and I'm... I've got, as usual, too much to say, so I'm going to uh, see how we go. You all right? Everyone take a deep breath. Just become aware, actually, of the fact that the Holy Spirit is around us. You know, He's in the room. Remember I said to you last time, God the Father is on His throne in heaven. God the Son is at the right hand of the Father on His Father's throne, waiting for the day when He will be on His own throne when He returns. And God, the Holy Spirit, He is here in the room. He is the, the presence of God, the voice of God. He is the, uh, the Trinity in the room. So we need to acknowledge Him and be aware of Him. Be aware of Him. So have you ever made a New Year's resolution and not kept it? Anybody? Every year, December 31st comes around, and we have this urge to make New Year's resolutions. Uh, it was funny, actually. Last week, uh, I was in Auckland, 
And after church, we went to a, um, a Chinese restaurant for yum cha, which is very tasty and very filling. And I saw the bill, very expensive. Um, but it was, uh, they, they had the place all decorated because it was the day after Chinese New Year. And we tend to look at that and go, it's not New Year. New Year's January the 1st. But they look at our New Year and go, that's not New Year. It's whatever their date was. And of course, the Jewish calendar has a whole different one. So anyway, December 31st, people stand out under the night sky and make resolutions. And most of those resolutions are like a puff of smoke and they've disappeared a few days or a week later. Would you agree? Why is that? I think it's because of this. It's because our lives and the way that we live is not shaped by our willpower. If it was shaped by our willpower, we would be able to follow through. Our lives are shaped by our values, not by our willpower, not by our determinations. So the way that you and I are living today is shaped by our values, and the way that the church functions is shaped by her values. So if our lives need to change, we need more than willpower. We need our values to change. If the church needs to change, our values need to change. And the way that we change our values is you have to see or find something more valuable than what you previously valued. Hello? It's like Matthew 13, 44 and 45, the parable of the pearl of great price and the treasure hidden in the field. On both occasions, someone's value system was completely upended when they discovered something more valuable than what they'd previously had as their value system. For me, I can remember when I got my first car. I, uh, I was not really ever a car guy, but when I got my first car, I've told you this before, that car, I, every spare cent went into upgrading things and you know, putting new exhausts on and new stereo, and then I had to get a new sunroof when the sunroof blew out the roof, and um, that was interesting, driving down the Northwestern motorway in, uh, in Auckland. Uh, with all the windows down and the sunroof open and suddenly there was this thunk and I looked up and my sunroof was gone and I just saw it go woo, 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 pow, into a million pieces, uh, which the car behind me, I'm sure, did not enjoy. So I got my car and that car was the top of my value system. I would clean it and I would look after it. But then later on, I got a house and suddenly the car's not clean. Because now I'm more focused on the house. The house, I'm just talking about natural things. The house became more important. And then the most dangerous thing is you get a boat and then you haven't got time to look after the house. No, no, that hasn't happened. So I want to talk to you briefly about, about a process that I believe the church, not just us, the church is in. Uh, like when you travel around a bit, you become aware of how many churches are being shaken to their core. And it's happening all over the place. And it has something to do with this. So our values, what we value, reveals where our hope is. Did you hear that? Are you right? Our values reveal where our hope is. So let's look at this familiar verse, Titus chapter 2. From verse 11 to 15. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It, that grace, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions 
and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Pause. You might have heard it. I certainly have heard it, where the grace of God is preached as though it was a license that you can live ungodly and you'll be forgiven, that you can live without self-control and it doesn't matter because God's grace covered us, covers us, which it does. But look here, it says the grace of God is uh, enabling us to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope. Everyone say blessed hope. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own eager to do what is good. These then are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority and do not let anyone despise you. Wow, that's a mouthful. So let's look at this. Grace offers salvation to all people. Hallelujah. Agree? Grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. And grace enables us to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives. It's not a license to sin, say sorry, and just be forgiven over and over. It's an enabling to live as Jesus wants us to live. And then look at this, the blessed hope. Say blessed hope again. The blessed hope of the people of God is the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That word blessed hope, blessed hope, is the highest, happiest hope of the people of God. It's the epitome of hope for the people of God. The epitome of hope is not the church getting a better building. The epitome of hope is not the people of God living with greater prosperity. As good as those things can be, The epitome of the hope of the people of God is the return, the appearing of Jesus Christ. See, we have a great commandment. What does the Bible say the great commandment for the people of God? The first and greatest commandment. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength, right? We have a great commission. What is the great commission? Go therefore and make disciples of nations and the great promise He will come. Notice this. These then you should teach, Paul writes to Timothy. So Paul the older is talking to Timothy the younger and he's giving them this instruction. Don't know what to teach about? This then is what you should teach. Look at it from the New King James. Speak these things. Which things? The glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Speak these things, exhort, exhort people with these things, rebuke with all authority and let no one despise you. I've told you this before, but there was a church that I was sitting in. I was sitting in the front row, big church, lots of people. This is a number of years ago. And I'm sitting there and I've got my notes. I think I had paper notes back in those days. And I had what I thought was a pretty inspiring, blood-curdling message on the return of Jesus. And I'm just sitting there with this message and I'm like, oh, I feel pretty fiery about this. And then weirdly out of the blue, 
randomly, the pastor just turns to me and says, oh, I'm not, I never let anyone preach that end times, he said a word, that end times nonsense in my church. He said that to me. And I'm sitting there going, oh, you know, I want to honor the leader of the church, but I've got this message. And I said, Lord, what do I do? He says, preach the message. I said, I'm going to be dishonoring this leader of the church. He said, no, you're not. You're going to be dishonoring his misinterpretation of what his job description is. <laughs> so I let it rip. <laughs> and boy, oh boy, the, you know, the weird thing is that church was moved to the point where there was no altar call. The message finished with a grand shouting, cheering, standing ovation. Isn't that weird? And I had an interesting conversation over lunch with the pastor. So listen, regarding this blessed hope, these things you should teach. This is the core message of the church. This is the core message of the church. It's not the domain of a little fringe group that hide out at Oropi for a period of time and preach weird things. This is the core message. And it must be regularly, widely preached and presented in the body of Christ. Why? Acts 17.31 For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he has given proof of this to everyone by raising this man from the dead. So this blessed hope, everyone say blessed hope. This blessed hope reshapes the church. This blessed hope, the moment this blessed hope becomes a part of our value system, this blessed hope reshapes the church because it changes her values. And when you change the values, it resets the priorities and the goals. Think about this for a moment. Think about the day, capital D of the Lord, the capital D day of the Lord, D day. Think about the return of Jesus. In view of that day, in view of the fact, what I just read, that God has set a day, how could the message of the church possibly ever be simply about worldly values? Now, look. I do feel quite feisty about this, and I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to sort of be a little bit calm and give you at least a chance to, to breathe and listen and form your, come to your own conclusions, you know, like, but there's a part of me that just wants to go, rah, about all of this. In view of this day that has been set where, where God will judge the world by this man, Jesus, in view of this day, D-Day, capital D, that Jesus will return, how could the message of the church be, praise God, we're back to normal? How could the message of the church be, come to Jesus and you will have more and more comfort and more and more prosperity and more and more and more, everything's going to be smooth sailing? Mm. This hope, this blessed hope, moves the church from defensive to offensive, 
from merely preserving what is a glorious legacy, the cross, I'm not minimizing the cross, but where we prepare for and focus on the future culmination of what the cross was all about. And see, this hope in the return of Jesus, I can tell you from personal experience, it becomes in you like a magnificent obsession. Everything you read in the Bible, you're reading through the lens that He will return. It moves us away from focusing on the ways and priorities of the world around us. On the way up here, I was listening to a song. I had it on repeat a couple of times. And I was listening to the song as I was driving up here. And it just goes, who can compare to you? Who can compare to you, my king? And then it goes on singing, you are the way, you are the truth, you are the life. Who can compare? I sat this morning watching, well, I saw three satellites. I saw a shooting star. And then I watched God give orders to the morning. Full disclosure, I found myself reconsidering my decaffeination. Because I used to get up early and I, you know, between, often between 4.30 and 6.30, I'd have two coffees and I've decaffeinated and now I'm finding it's more of a battle. I can't close my eyes. I just want to focus. Ugh. So I can't, so I'm consider. I'm like, I didn't decaffeinate for a philosophical reason. I decaffeinated, I told you by accident, but that, that's another story. But my, my temporary decaffeinated status means less to me than my ability to sit with the Lord without nodding off. Anyway, just a little bit of an insight into my journey this morning. When you look at the stars, when you look at the morning sky changing, who can compare? And what in the world could compare? Psalms 20 verse 7 says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses referring to worldly strength and worldly abilities. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. See, this change of values means there is a change to our treasure. Every one of us has got a treasure. Matthew 6, 19 through 21, isn't this familiar? Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. Oh, a big moth landed on me yesterday. I'm not scared of moths, but we were sitting outside having, having a nice afternoon. I oh know we're having dinner with my mum, and this moth must have just been up under the table and suddenly just went plop on my leg. I was like, you know, when something does that, even though you're not scared of moths, you still go, ah! So I made a fool of myself and jumped when this moth fell on me. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I've heard this passage used often in offerings. Honestly, I think that's an abuse of the offering, personally. This passage is not saying... You have to give all your money away. It's not saying you can't have possessions. It's talking about treasure. 
You can have many or few possessions, but what is your treasure? One of the things that I think is that you own your possessions, but your treasure is the thing that kind of owns you, that's got you. So if your treasure is here, if your treasure is by nature worldly, it can be, it will be diminished, degraded, or lost over time. For many people, particularly young people, their phone is a treasure. And I, uh, what is this? iPhone, what is this? 13? I remember my first iPhone 4S. It was my first ever iPhone. And wow, I was like, wow. Don't even know where it is now. Treasures degrade when they're earthly. And so this passage is saying earthly treasure can never satisfy. Do you know why earthly treasure can never satisfy? Because the temporary can never satisfy the eternal. Ecclesiastes 3.11, every human being has got eternity stamped on the inside of them. You cannot satisfy an eternal longing with a temporary treasure. There is nothing we can go and buy. There is no house we can live in, no car we can drive, no amount of money that we can procure that will satisfy the longing of our hearts. I want you to think for a moment about this issue of treasure and eternity. 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day, capital D, will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, And the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. What is this talking about? It's saying there are things that we can do, things that we can build, things that we can treasure and prioritize in our lives that are gold, silver, and costly stones, and they survive the fire of the day of the Lord into eternity and produce an eternal reward. But it's also saying there are things like wood, hay, and stubble, things that we can give our lives to in this life, and they will not survive the fire. And see, it says here, The builder will suffer loss, yet be saved. So this is talking about people that are believers escaping just as one, just sneaking in. I mean, there's another whole topic here about eternal rewards. You know, the eternal reward is not one size fits all according to this, but there are rewards according to how we built. What did we build with? What did we give ourselves to? I don't want to give myself to building with wood, hay, and stubble. I want to give myself to building with gold, silver, and costly stones. This is pretty important right now because this change of values is coming one way or the other. It's coming one way or the other to everybody. 
Remember I said to you at the start of the year, I said, I, uh, or the wind is blowing. I think there is, in my opinion, there is going to be increasing turmoil in the world. Before this year is out, my, my opinion is that we're going to get hit with something again. The people that are saying, well, praise God, the pandemic's over. We're back to normal. Hallelujah. They, in my opinion, humbly but forcefully submitted, are as foolish as a woman saying, phew, after a contraction is completed. Oh, thank goodness that's over. That was hard. Praise God. Why, what's going to happen? There's going to be another one. And so... Some, there will be something this year. There will be. Whether it's a, a current conflict that gets out of control, not that I really think any of that's in control, in terms of earthly control, whether it's a financial meltdown of some sort, we're going to get hit with something. So this change of values is coming one way or another because all trust and confidence in shakeable things will be shaken. Did you hear that? All trust and confidence in shakeable things will be shaken. I heard a quote years ago that went something like this. The degree to which our hearts are invested in the value system of the world is the degree to which we can be shaken in tribulation. So there will be more birth pains. Between now and when Jesus returns, there will be more political, financial uh, birth pains. There will be wars. There will be geographical, meteorological events. But on the other side, there will be revival. There will be awakening. There will be the Holy Spirit moving and doing things in remarkable and wonderful and glorious ways. But even that, the revival is going to shake the living daylights out of the church. I remember even in the 90s, people were complaining, saying, that can't be a genuine move of God. Every church that's had that move of God has been damaged. And I can't remember who it was, but someone made a great statement. They said, a move of God will always damage that which man has built. <laughs> Ooh. So revival is going to shake the church, going to shake the status quo, and we're going to have this challenge. Do we hold on to what is familiar, or do we follow the Holy Spirit? Has it ever occurred to you how often the disciples, and, and you can even go back through the, the Old Testament too, but how often the people of God had to let go of the inferior familiar to take hold of the superior unfamiliar? Abraham, leave your home and your father's house and your people and go to a place I will show you. Leave what you know to go to what you don't know. Or the disciples, I'm leaving, Jesus says, but it's going to be advantageous for you because I will go. And they're going, what? And I'll send you the Holy Spirit. They had to let go of I'm not calling Jesus inferior, but that inferior reality of Jesus, the God-man, 
being replaced by the Holy Spirit who is everywhere, not just in one place at one time. Jesus himself said Holy Spirit was going to be, in that context, superior. Now, I mentioned a word before that gives a lot of people heart palpitations. Tribulation. Oh, no, don't talk about it. You want to build your church? Don't talk about tribulation. Well, I don't, want to build, I don't want to build my church. I can't build Jesus' church. He said he alone can build that. And why would I want to build my church? I don't get a church. He gets a church. I don't get one. I'm part of his church. Tribulation. Everyone say tribulation. Now say it with a smile on your face. Tribulation. It doesn't really, it's hard to do that, isn't it? Let's talk about tribulation for a moment. Believe it or not, this message is actually about hope. <laughs> John 16, 33, Jesus said this, In this world, you will have immense, unstoppable, never-ending peace, blessing, and no problems. In this world, you will have what? The word there is tribulation. In this world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I've overcome the tribulation. No, he says, I've overcome the world. Don't you love how Jesus, does, he doesn't even say, don't worry, I've got your tribulation. He just comes right in over the top and says, I've overcome the whole jolly lot. I am actually King of kings and Lord of lords, so fear not. But in this world, you will have what? Tribulation. This uh, word tribulation means pressure. John 16.33, Jesus is talking about the daily tribulation of walking with Jesus. See, we don't live in a neutral spiritual environment, do we? Have any of you noticed that it's not a neutral spiritual environment, but there are spiritual things going on that are opposed to what Jesus is doing by the Holy Spirit, right? Tribulation means pressure, pressure from a spiritual environment around us that is not neutral, but actually has foes in it, demons, powers, principalities. Got it? But there's also this pressure because our fallen nature wars with the things of God. Now you can say, no, no, I'm born again. I no longer have a fallen nature. How's that working for you? Because even Paul said, the good that I do, the good that I want to do, I don't do, and the evil I don't want to do, I keep on doing. If I had no fallen nature, I wouldn't have got snippy with the ladies at the boat ramp yesterday that were launching one of those big, long canoe things and were telling me to get out of the way. And the reason I get snippy with them is because often when you're getting ready to launch your boat, they come in and just go right behind you, and then you've got to wait for them. So I have a default setting of being snippy. I try not to, but I'm warring on the inside with that. They say confession is good for the soul, and I've just confessed that sometimes when I see them, uh, if they've done that to me, and then I'm going down the five-knot channel, there's a, there's a way you can just position your boat to maximize the wake. 
where it's not planing, it's just like, you know, you sit the nose up and it makes bigger wake. And I would love to tell you that I've never done that. In this world, you will have tribulation, pressure from the environment around you, pressure from even within yourself, and pressure from the Holy Spirit as He is working to move you from where you were to where you need to be. It's called things like conviction. Conviction's another one of those words that we don't, you know, tend to like in the church. But conviction is beautiful. So there is daily tribulation. Have, you ex- have any of you experienced any of that? No, none at all. None at all. And then there is this. Then there is this. Matthew 24, 21. For then, so talking about the events in Matthew 24, there will be great tribulation such has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. So there is daily tribulation, the pressure of walking with God. And then there is coming this particular period of tribulation before the return of Jesus called the Great Tribulation. And when you read the Great Tribulation, you see that it's not the world going to hell in a handcart spinning out of control, but it's actually, even in that, the Lord at work to make the people of God ready for that which is actually really truly mattering, eternity, not the temporary. And in the midst of it, I believe that the humble, steadfast church will emerge filled with hope. I'm punching things now. Look, there is much going on right now that can disorient and cause fear. Would you agree? Believers, unbelievers. And there is much to come that can be disorienting and cause fear. But there is much to rejoice, even when we look at things like Matthew 24 and the talk about the tribulation, There is much to rejoice about. It really just depends on what you're looking at and what you're prioritizing. Remember this? The day of the Lord is referred to as great and terrible. How can it be both great and terrible? It depends on what you're looking at. It depends on what you're prioritizing. Let's say part of the tribulation is a very large financial meltdown. If your value and your priority is your bank account or your KiwiSaver, it will be terrible. But if your eyes are on the blessed hope that Jesus will return, you're like, bring it, let's go. It depends on what you're after. It depends on what your value is. It depends on what your hope is in. The days ahead are an adventure or a nightmare, depending on where our hope is anchored. And how can the church be prepared for now and the days ahead if our message is all about worldly comfort, worldly prosperity, and praise God, we're back to normal? Doesn't that just set the people of God up for a massive failure? 
Listen to this quote. This is, uh, this is from a song by Jason Upton that, that many would reject simply because the title. The title of the song is Poverty. And I know people that would never have listened to that. Oh, I don't want to listen to a song called Poverty. Listen to this. And where will we turn when our world falls apart and all of the treasures we've stored in our barns can't buy the kingdom of God? And who will we praise when we've praised all our lives, men who build kingdoms and men who build fame, but heaven does not know their name? And what will we fear when all that remains is God on the throne with a child in his arms and love in his eyes and the sound of his heart cry. Amidst all the shaking and all the turmoil, where can the people of Tauranga find hope? In the midst of the things that are ahead of us, where will the people of New Zealand find hope? In the increasing darkness, where will light be found? In the stress and in the confusion, where will there be peace to be found for the people of the city? We know this only in Jesus. It's one thing for me to say, all my hope is in Jesus, but the way that I live my life points to my hope being elsewhere. I can say with my words, all my hope is in Jesus, but if you look at my life or if people look at your life, do they see that our hope is in our possessions or in our positions or in our this, that or the other thing? The people of Tauranga will only find hope in Jesus and they'll only find that hope in Jesus when the nature of who he is is demonstrated in those who humbly follow him. Humble people filled with hope, living in the light, steadfast in his peace that passes understanding and all of that is only possible by the presence, the power, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, enabling us to be what we could never be in a thousand lifetimes of trying. The church that is going to emerge is going to be, it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be glorious. That beauty and that glory is not going to be measured by her size or by her grand buildings. It's going to be measured by just looking so much like Jesus that even the demons will look and the powers and the principalities will look and in the people of God, they will see so much of him that the church will begin to freak them out. The powers and principalities by and large are not freaking out right now. But don't you, don't you just want like you come across a demon-possessed person and the demon looks at you and see Jesus looking back out of your eyes? Don't you want, when you pray, don't you want the powers and principalities to hear echoes 
of another man's voice who spoke to the winds and wind and the waves and said, sit down, shut up and be quiet. And for them to hear that, why? Because we've become like him. How do we become like him? He becomes our hope. I'm not saying go home and sell your stuff. I'm saying just don't love your stuff. I'm not saying you, you can never have any prosperity or any this, that. I'm not saying that. I'm saying just don't, don't let that own you because our blessed hope is King Jesus and He will come. And as for me and as for my role in this church, as long as that may last, these things we will teach. And if you happen to prosper along the way, praise God. But these things then we will teach. I hope if you, like, I know some people that have had to move house. I hope the new house is an absolute blessing. I hope that, I've heard some people yesterday, they told me a story that, that someone just out of the blue gave them a big bunch of money to go and buy a new car. You don't go, oh, just give that to the church. No, go buy that car and I hope it runs nicely and I hope it's got a good stereo. So you can listen to dodgy podcasts like this one. <laughs> no, just, okay. The blessed hope. Did, no sunroof. Yes, well, if it has a sunroof, anyway, out they go. Okay. Here's what we're going to do. Would you stand up? Give someone a... Yes, yeah, Steve, stand up for goodness sake. I feel so disrespected by you sitting down. <laughs> okay. Here's what we're going to do. I just want to, I'm just going to, um, yeah, we're just going to do something particular. Uh, uh, Ross and Andrea, Ian and Jane, would you, would you mind coming out here? Uh, um, uh, Marianne, can I have you please? Ken? Uh, Rob, are you... Are you are you, are you able? And, and the invitation is for your beloved if, if she would like to come too. Just come stand along the front here. Over this side too. There are people, you can stand on this side as well. That looks like one of those lines, do not cross. <laughs> We're having an altar call today. And it's an altar call for a fresh impartation of the Holy Spirit to, number one, have Jesus as our blessed hope. And by the anointing of the Holy Spirit for that blessed hope to be demonstrated in the way that we live for a city and a nation that needs that. I'll tell you when to come, but can you start playing, playing that song I chose? Just turn your eyes towards the Lord.